Shane, thank you very much for joining me on the show, bro. It's absolutely awesome to have you here, man. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's, it's always interesting for me to, to be able to talk to, to coaches that are also athletes because I think it gives a really, really interesting insight into their coaching styles and their development. But I want to kind of start off looking at like your kind of introduction into SNC. Where did that really begin for you? Was that, was that something that was career-based from the beginning? Was this an opportunity that was kind of presented to you and you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of cool and it means I don't have to work in like a fucking office for the rest of my life? Like, where did that kind of come from? Well, to be honest, it just came from being a kid. I always watched Dragon Ball. I'm a big anime fan. I've always watched Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball Z, Abridged, whatever. And um, they're just jacked. And uh, I was a big wrestling. I'm still a big wrestling fan. Love the WWF, WWE, WCW, uh, all the indie scene stuff. And I just grew up watching jacked fucking men, <laughs> strangely, and just always wanted to be big. So when I was 16, my mum managed to, she knew the, the gym manager, who's actually a good friend of mine now, Ben France. Um, he managed to stink me a gym membership at the commercial gym at 16 when you had to be 17 to join. So my introduction to the gym was, I was very young. I know nowadays it's kind of common to have younger people join the gym and they have like junior memberships and stuff. But back then you just couldn't get a membership unless you're 17, 18. So I was the youngest guy in the gym and I've just seen all these guys and just obsessed with getting bigger. And I ended up getting offered a job off Ben at the same gym. Um, so I told my mum and my dad, I'm leaving sick form. Um, gonna be a gym instructor and I'm gonna do this and that and yeah that's kind of literally how it started it was Ben that got me um, into strength training as well because after I, after I was working at the gym um, you know Ben was in, I get involved in strongman um, it, it, it literally went like once and was like oh I did this strongman thing last week um, do, you, do you want to come try it as well and that was literally it um, I then started getting interested in the strength and conditioning side of the world i got kind of introduced to it through the people i met through strongman and uh, yeah it's going to snowball from there yeah so it's it's interesting that you say that because like the, the whole kind of the scenario where you're like oh hey mom i'm uh, i'm dropping out of education uh and i'm gonna go and, and you know teach people how to bench press properly for a living like one how was that conversation because that has to be like one of the hardest things ever just to kind of like see that look in your parents eyes to be like uh i know you thought i was gonna kind of go down this route but nah fuck that this is what i want to do well it's a strange one really because i had probably pushy parents so from uh from like two or three years old i was doing kickboxing three days a week karate two days a week i was swimming three days a week um i used to do fuck just everything like, I'm pretty sure they just want me out of the house, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I've always had a weird, obsessive, blunt personality. That I, and I've always never found it hard to just say something that I feel. I can believe so, that. Um, me telling my mum that, yeah, if it was out of the blue, probably she would have been shocked. But I did stuff like that my whole life, you know what I mean? Just said, mum, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't want to. Or mum, I want to do this. Um and she was like, okay, you know, so it, it, it didn't, it went fine. And she was like, the thing is, I'm about to hit me on horn. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clever bloke and I, I look at things differently to most people. My mind works in slightly different ways and I've got a very good retention of information and stuff. So 
she knew I was going to be fine. She knew that. She's not an idiot. So she's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, and that's kind of always been the case with my, my parents. They've always been kind of, even if it sounds stupid, they're like, right, okay, whatever. Let, let's help him do this. And yeah, it, it wasn't that bad, to be honest with you. I can see why it sounds bad, but the whole my whole upbringing was kind of, they knew I was a good athlete. They knew I was going to be, they, they, that's why my mum got me the gym membership at 16, because she knew I wanted to go to the gym. Because I was upstairs in my attic, bench pressing weights and stuff from like 13, and um, constantly doing pull-ups on the little pull-up bar between my uh, my door frame and stuff. So, you know, she, she kind of knew I was going to fall over it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those things, like you said, it's it's been ingrained in you from an early, early age. But it's really interesting that you speak about those different things because it's like we've had Matt Wedding on the show before and kind of spoken about like the foundational structure of like long-term athlete development from like a child age in terms of like the stages of learning that you'll go through in terms of with your body. But like what you've been forced to go through is like such a tremendous amount of physical development at such a young age is that without knowing it, you, you had like this fantastic base of athleticism, which, I mean, you probably could have taken that into most sports. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like that foundation that you had. So the fact that you just went down into strength training and strength sports, it's like, wow. Like you, you bring up, you bring lots of different elements to the table, which I think is really interesting about a, your training style and a, just you as an athlete anyway. Yeah, because for me, it was like the, the proper reception side of stuff. So like p- picking up movement patterns, like from doing, I did jujitsu as well. Actually, I did so much fucking shit. They used to just do all the stuff all the time. I was pretty good at it as well. I was like under, 16, under 16's um, full contact kumite, they used to call it, champion from 12, 13, 14, 15 and 16. So I won it like four years in a row. I was quite a good little fighter actually when I was younger, but them days have passed me. I'll tear a peck if I throw a hook now. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I just pick up movement patterns really easily. Like if someone said to do a deadlift, they demonstrated a deadlift. I just did a deadlift perfectly. Um, same with the high bar back squat and just everything. I, I picked up stuff really well because I'd been through so much, so many different planes of motion and so many movement patterns and um, kind of subconsciously learned how to lift really well without knowing. But like, kickboxing and stuff they make you warm up with like 50 press-ups and you'd, you'd cool down with 100 press-ups and you know it's a lot of it's a lot of work really when you when you think about it from a young age you're progressive overloading by growing and uh, you know it just racks up to like i bench pressed 105 kilo my first ever bench press time in the gym and squatted How old? 40, 16 um <laughs> so i benched 105 squatted 140 and deadlifted 140 in my first time i tried um so I'd like I built this pretty decent base of strength from just those sports. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely carried over into. I think, like you say, I could have done, I could have done anything. And part of me, you know, wishes because there was this period of time in my life from nineteen to twenty, where I was really unsure whether to go all in on strength training or all in on MMA. And sometimes that's the only decision where I think I sometimes wish I did the MMA thing sometimes. But apart from that, it's my, it's my, I'm pretty happy with everything else. But apart from that one thing, sometimes I wish I'd have tried MMA. I don't know, bro. The CTE is pretty fucking bad, man. But I was training it by accident for so long <laughs> that, you know, people, people train all the sports now from when they're a kid to get good at it. But back then it was like, um, 
boxers that have done a bit of wrestling or a bit of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's like jiu-jitsu the early stages of the UFC where you had like guys that were just like strict single disciplines, whereas now it's just like everyone does BJJ. You're like, you know that this is just like the foundational thing now. Yeah, so it's kind of like, so, sometimes I did wish that just because I, I, I followed MMA for a long time. I'm a massive fan of MMA. My first ever fight I watched was, uh, I watched uh, Noguera versus Bob Sapp in <laughs> Pride. And uh, Bob Sapp, I don't even know him, but he's this jacked, massive, 305 pound black guy. And Noguera's this skinny Brazilian jiu jitsu fellow. Well, he's not skinny, but compared to Bob Sapp, he was. Yeah. He's getting slung around like a ragdoll. And then gets, uh, I think he got triangle choked or something. And I always remember as soon as I watched that fight, in my head, I called it real wrestling. That's what I was calling it, real wrestling. And I said, what is real wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, so you, you took that turn. You're like, okay, right. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave this behind. And I'm gonna down the full strength training route. Yeah. At that quit, stage, what was that like my, going all in? Sports and quit, yeah. So, in terms of like actually going all in, like in terms of what you were saying, what were you doing differently? You're now just leaving all the MMA training out. You're solely focusing on this. Is this like the kind of like learning and development stage of like you as a coach now in terms of like learning about the methodologies, learning about the different training cycles and systems? When did that kind of come into play? So probably, I mean, I was always reading from 16 to, well, till now, you know, I've always been reading stuff. But I kind of got on the kind of like physiology side of stuff. I kind of didn't delve into that. I was kind of reading the, in the wrong places when I was younger. I was reading like forums and you know stuff like that. And just people's opinion on things. and It's all anecdotal stuff. Yeah, just the, the wrong info really. Yeah. And then I started getting to like, well, my first strongman comp, I qualified to England's strongest man under 90s and then I came eighth for England strongest man under 90 and it was the first time in my life that I didn't do well at something athletically and it fucking pissed me right off I was just like I never like the whole time I, I never lost a fight the whole time I was kickboxing karate and never lost a jiu-jitsu never lost rolling never in, even in swimming, like I was supposed to go on one of the fucking Olympic trial teams when I was like young, and I, I told them I fucking hated swimming. I was like, I don't want to swim. I remember crying to them, like, I don't want to swim. It's shite. Um, so I've always been good at stuff, and I hated coming eighth. It was like it haunted me, and I, I, I thought I need to get better here. And that's when I just started getting like proper obsessive and reading more in depth, and I wanted to. Basically, I decided all the people I'm learning off, all the people that are telling me this stuff, don't know what the hell they're on about. Um, and it was when at that England's I met Tom Hibbert, um, okay. and I met um, Tommy Yule, who's I don't know if you know Tommy, but he's I don't know what he does now. He, used, he was head of British weightlifting like a year or two ago. Um, amazing yeah, weightlifter, yeah, even the Commonwealth Games, like children okay. clean and jerk at 105, Scottish guy. Nice. Um, yeah, just these guys that, that obviously had this strength and conditioning background. Yeah. And they started telling me stuff like, I remember seeing them warm up with bands around the hips and uh, doing like hip distractions and all this stuff. And I was like, what the fuck's all this? Like, it was this new world. And then I was like, 
oh my god, I've been learning off all these idiots, and then these guys are coming up and they just know stuff about the body, and then I realise, right, I need to know my anatomy, I need to know this, I need to know that, and I just delve into it more and thought, I'm going to make myself the best I can be, and that's where it came from. That's where the coach side came. The coaching side came from. I wanted to coach myself to not come eight because it pissed me off. Um, and I'm, when I get my head on something and my brain focused on something, I'm proper obsessive. Like I'll just read for fucking six days straight if I need to and just zone in on it. And that's kind of just what I did. And um, then I did my level three personal training, learned quite a little bit off there with anatomy and stuff. Did my level four, did an open uni strength and conditioning qualification. Um, and then since then, I've just been you know, going different seminars, learning off different people. Tom Hibbert, I, I always respect Tom. I think he is absolutely class for educating coaches and building up strength and conditioning clients. Um, Broderick Chavez as well, uh, Team Evil GSP, I don't know if you follow him. Learn a lot of him and Yuri Skribans. Uh, Andrew Triana from the Performance Vibe is an amazing, amazing coach and guy. Learned so much off him. So that's kind of how it how it went. It just steamrolled from there. Me wanting to get better myself and then realising that I can apply that to other people. And yeah, that was it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you say that, especially like I love the the, the fact that, that it wasn't like the traditional route in the sense of like you kind of knew that you were going down this route. You went to university specifically for strength and conditioning. Whatever. Like this was something that you kind of got onto slightly later. Now that's really interesting that obviously the the open university course that's a shorter is that a shorter duration than three years it's only uh, a couple of years is it to be honest i can't remember to be honest. <laughs> it might be about two or three years yeah something like that okay 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 cool 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 now yeah it's it's, it's obviously interesting then because i think it gives you like a a different outlook when you haven't necessarily just gone straight into it this is something that you've come into it's almost like you're approaching it with fresh eyes you get to see it in a slightly different way um so how did you find the whole experience of kind of going from understanding a decent amount, understanding the function, understanding training, what it does, how to kind of elicit a response to them being like, okay, here's like all these like force projection graphs and like bar speed and all this, all these crazy different concepts that are being introduced to you. How did that then change and influence <coughs> you as an athlete? It did and it didn't because my, cool. my whole training system that I utilize now my whole kind of philosophy on it is that it's a very basic, simple thing that we can put lots of fancy words and graphs to and make extremely complicated. And we can juggle words around and make things sound amazing or make them sound shit. But yeah. the, the, my application of strength conditioning is for strongman and powerlifting. I don't care about footballers or fucking people producing force laterally or, you know, changing direction. I don't care about that. I care about so there was a lot of stuff I was learning I couldn't because I can only I can only switch my brain on to stuff I can apply to myself yes because as much as I'm learning to be better at coaching I'm also mainly a selfish bastard and learning so I can make myself stronger so if somebody's talking about something in a lecture or they're fucking giving me whatever if it's not relevant to me I do not retain that information like at all so that's why I kind of don't say I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I say I'm a strongman coach because all the jargon and bullshit that I believe, I truly believe you don't have to apply to strongman. Um, I just don't use it or quote it or even remember a lot of it, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, but it's interesting that you say that because I think then like the way that you approach strongman training now in terms of like what was kind of like traditionally strongman training, which is like a lot of just bullshit, heavy, static, powerful stuff, you know, these big barrel guys, whereas you've come at it with this re- this really interesting concept of like actual athletic development. Like I, I feel like that's, that's, that's a really, really interesting balance you got going on there. Yeah, but that came from more me looking at stuff. And I'm a small, I'm only like five, seven. And back, back then when I was doing it, I mean, I'm, like, I'm a bigger guy now, now that, I'm, now that I'm on the old special supplements, I'm a bigger dude. But back in the day, I was a little lad, you know what I mean? I'm eight fucking kilos. And people are like, do this, rest it here, do that. And I'm like, I don't have the, the frame to do that. So... Like, just pick it up or whatever. Just pick it up. That time people said that to me about a stone. Just pick it up. So I had to step back and look at it and break it down. And I think to me, strongman is looked at as this big mongy sport where people lift odd objects and stuff. But I like, I see the beauty in the odd objects. I see these like lines appear where I can produce the most force if I put the odd object this way. And I, and I put my feet here and my hips here and my shoulders here and I, I create this like structure in my brain that I can visualize and I go that's where I can produce the most force so then I put myself there and do it and to me it's like a real nice beautiful expression of strength rather than a big mongy just pick it up that, that's how I look at sandbags and stones and stuff it's a bit weird but then oh, when, you, when, you, when you take that into a coaching perspective you can kind of learn to like this guy's got different femur length different this different that you know if we put you here and do this you'll produce the most force and then the more people you work with the more experience you get with different body types etc and then you can just end up like i can just see someone and go well pick that up like this and it'll be easy oh yeah thanks shane it's you know and then it's to me it's like simple now but But then you still seem like a wizard to that person yeah but to me i'm just like i just see it now it's just like there we'll just do that it's it's come with a lot of experience and a lot of breaking stuff down and yeah i think i just think it's fun but yeah i do i do look at it in a bit of a different way to most people like people look at a sandbag and they see a sandbag whereas i see like where i can put my power and where like how will the object move because sandbag moves like if i grab here and here the sandbag's going to do this you know it's going to bend and the force is going to change slightly and you know how am i going to counteract that and you know, it, it, you can get quite intricate with stuff like that. This is stuff that I've talked to Luke Richardson recently because Luke Richardson, he had so much force, so much power, but he was unable to apply it. So all we've done recently is teach him to put himself in positions on stuff to actually express his strength properly. And then everyone thinks he's blown up in strength. And I'm like, <laughs> we haven't even done the strength phase yet. You know what yeah. I mean? So, The, uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to strongman than just brute strength, in my opinion, and especially the athletes coming up now. I think that's going to start to become more. Well, it already is. Like, look at Klesiowski and stuff. Um, they're technicians. You know, they're not just strong. They're, they're technicians. Yeah, but it's it's even testament to obviously like uh, Alexei Novikov. Like, there are smaller athletes now that are having bigger impacts in these these leagues that were traditionally run by these fucking humongous giants and it's like it's just going to show now that if you have that power and you have that explosive nature 
and you are a technician enough to be able to find those grooves that work for you and your body and your frame, you can do some fucking crazy things. And I think that's just a testament to, to your start of training as well and what you're doing in terms of like, like I'm six for eight, I'm 130 kilos and I will hands out say, I'm not nowhere fucking close to being as strong as you because I don't know how to influence, <laughs> I don't know how to influence my body weight well enough because I haven't got to that stage of development, which you have, like you have such an understanding of how to utilize every part of your body weight in the best sense to elicit response on that bar. So again, I, th- I think that's, that's the other thing. Being a technician as you are, it, it, just, it just goes to, to, to prove that this shit works. Yeah, it's just like the little analogy of the cup. Like, you have like a little cup, and if you're able to fill it up, you might be able to outperform someone who's got a big, big cup that's half full. <clears throat> yeah, they, the, the bigger cup's going to have more strength potential, but if they don't know how to express it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, kind of going back to to what you're saying about your kind of obsession around like the sandbags and stuff, the way you talk about it, and it's really interesting because, of course, you have the the, the background in like martial arts and bits and pieces. Is it's kind of like I always hear to like BJJ and stuff. Is it's like it's almost like uh, live action chess with your body, and especially when you yeah. get around some of these really fucking awkward implements that are active in your hands, like a sandbag where it's constantly swaying and moving. You have that same kind of intricacy where it's, it is a, it's a give and take of your body against the implement in whatever the particular environment is. So you almost do have the same kind of live action chest thing going on, which, which, which would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So when you're lifting these odd objects, <clears throat> that's all done through the wrist. So like if you're picking up an odd stone and you think to yourself, I'm going to grab it here. If the weight's slightly in front, it's going to tilt. So then your wrist can, you know, pull back to kind of fight it. And then you'll maybe shimmy your hand forward a bit while, while you're lifting it. This is, this is all in a lap, you know. It can all happen in a split second. You've got to move your hand so that you balance the stone so that when you lift it, it doesn't flip. And your fingers are spreading your hands and being able to control through each uh, separate finger the item. There's, there's a lot that goes into doing stuff like that really quickly and efficiently. And it's easy to mess up as well. Um, so that's why you've got to, you've got to practice it. It's not just one of these things that I'll do on the day. You've got to, that's why I get people to train sandbags and stones and odd, odd stuff quite frequently because it's one of those things that people tend to do it four, four weeks up to a comp. They'll like get the sandbag out, whereas I make my athletes do them every week, like all year round. I'm like, do you want to deadlift every week? Well, yeah. Well, sandbags and stones are just as common as deadlifts, so you're going to deadlift and stone, sandbag and stone every week as well, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's it's a really interesting point that I was going to bring up is that I think, especially with a concept such as strongman, where it is, yes, it is a strength sport, but it's so multidimensional and it's multifaceted in the sense of that uh, a series of events can require, every single event can require something completely different from your body and all your different energy systems like training for it is, is is quite interesting because you can have all these different things going on. So in terms of how do you like to approach your training in the sense of how do you split event training with then like core gym lifts? So like what I refer to as you like your squat bench, overhead press deadlift, whatever it would be. And then the auxiliary exercise movements outside of that. How would you balance that? Well, um, cause there's so, there's so much, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the way, I, the way I do it is, 
we've got to remember in strongman that there's probably I don't know, maybe one spread like spread open athletes about maybe one comp a year with a squatting. And that's worlds. And only fifty percent of the athletes tend to do the squat. Because it tends to be in the qualifier. Um so the other half will get a deadlift or whatever. So when you think about all of that, squat is such a non priority lift in strongman. So first thing you gotta do is set aside the squat and say we're going to fit squatting somewhere, but there are other things that need to be prioritised. Whereas most coaches write a programme and they put the squatting first and then they try and fit everything else around the squat. But it should be the other way around. The squat should be the thing that like comes last. Um, also, I think most strong men should probably have a safety bar uh, for the extra shoulder recovery. and um, Save your elbows the, for, for pressing. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, you know, I, I do believe that you need a squat in your program, but like I say, I just think it needs to be like, if you need to pull something back one week, pull back the squat, you know what I mean? Let, let that be recovery um, modality instead of, instead of pulling back the events or something, because they're the things that are going to get the points. <clears throat> so that's the first thing is, uh, make sure you don't prioritise the squat. And then, depending on the level of athlete, they'll deliver once or twice a week. Um, I don't tend to stray over two times a week just because there's so much to fit in that I, I think you start taking away from other elements if you deliver more than, than twice a week. But I definitely have most kind of mid-level athletes do one deadlift day and one deadlift assistance day. Um, but if you're getting into like the, if you're like a 400 puller or something, definitely only one day a week um, deadlifts. And then the pressing, that's kind of like a, figure it out on the fly kind of thing with the specific athlete because some some respond better to just purely overhead pressing others the bench pressing incline bench and stuff like that definitely give them a better response in terms of the press strength so i kind of figure that out uh, as we go but definitely two days a week pressing uh, is my go-to no matter the strength of the athlete the only thing that will change is we might have a lower level athlete that maybe logs like 140 or something maybe he'll um log twice a week but a higher level athlete like 200 log he'd log once and then the next session would be all back supported stuff for recovery so incline press or seated military or something something like that uh, just again managing the, the the load and recovery of the athlete um and then uh, events wise um they would be in all year round and usually light uh, for skill acquisition purposes. So there's my favorite protocol that most get in off season is called heart shock, which is a jog sprint carry, which is one rep uh, over 20 meters usually. So jog 20 meters, sprint 20 meters, carry 20 meters. That's one rep. And I'll try and build them up to three sets of three with four to five minutes rest. Um, and the carry will be rotated. So they'll do a sandbag front carry, and then the next week maybe a keg the next week maybe like a random odd object they've got you know lying around that's awkward um and i get them up to that that's my baseline strongman fitness level so three by three heart shock with four to five minutes rest if you can't do that you're not fit enough to compete at a high level so i'll start you off at like sets of one or two and slowly just linearly progress to that and then i'll try and maintain that for, for the strongman fitness so we're ticking off a couple of things there we're ticking off front carries, we're, we're ticking off our 
level of conditioning over 60 to 75 seconds of the event's run, and we're ticking off um, skill of sandbag, keg, and odd object carrying and loading. So that's like a fundamental thing I'll keep in. And then after that, the off-season style training for most athletes, I will rotate farmers and yoke every other week. So after okay. the um, after a usually I do like a squat and move session I'll do and I'll make them do their light squats first so they're a bit fatigued for the event just because usually farmers walk and uh, yoke are like mid-table on the event score you never really do it first so I was going to squat first but like I say the squats are the priority the yoke and stuff is so it's not like you're going to kill them on the squats and then rotate yoke and farmers every other week and then I'll finish with a stone load I make sure stone load is in um, every week and again that's usually rotated so I usually do when I do yoke I'll do lighter stone to high platform and when I do farmers I'll do heavier stone to a lower platform okay okay very very cool I love that I love that and you were you kind of brought up in there as well this kind of there seems to be this ever ebbing and flowing debate about the kind of uh, the bench press overhead press kind of what, what what's giving us best bang for our buck and you know it's really interesting when I've heard you speak about it before. Obviously, depending upon how the person's built, their structure is going to be very, very dependent upon how the carryover uh, from bench to overhead would affect them. But traditionally, it seems that overhead has a greater carryover to bench than bench to overhead. But you've got guys that, like, I mean, he is a genetic freak, but we'll talk about him. Larry Wills coming across and then going straight into a log and putting up, like, what was it, like 180? I mean, te- te- yeah, te- technique was all over the my place. Take, but. My take on it is, how good are you at bench? How much are you benching? Because, for example, I just did a bench press cycle myself. Uh, got, a, got a one kilo bench PB. So it was only one kilo. I got um, 221. But then um, three days later, I decided, I, I just woke up. I was like, I want to strip log something. And I hadn't touched the log in about four months. And I, I strip logged 150, which is five kilo under my best ever, which took like six months of purely peaking the strip log to get 155 and I just walked in and did it off a bench peak and then the week after I did the fastest 145 strip log I've ever done and then I if I, I hurt me back cleaning it but if I hadn't hurt me back I guarantee you would have stripped to 160 so for me this is why this is why I'm on the on the fence with this argument is I completely understand it but for me bench press increases my strip log massively um, and Luke Richardson for example we we peaked his incline bench then transition to a strip log phase and he strip logged his push press log max um so anecdotally for some people they just respond really well to it others you could put 30 kilo on the bench and the log doesn't move but to me that's more of a sign of your skill acquisition on the log isn't very good right if you're not very good technically on the log and all you improve is your chest shoulder and tricep strength you're still not very good at the log so can you express the new strength you've built you know, maybe not. So to, to me, it's kind of like definitely a, a just on the fly and see what's going on kind of thing. And some athletes, um, you know, some guys just love strongman and they just don't have that kind of proprioception and that ability to be able to, you know, dip with a neutral uh, sort of vertical torso and um, explode all the force through the log so it goes really high, really fast. Some guys just like can't do that. And they just don't have the ability to, they don't have the skill because I've tried it with people before where I've just done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps. Doesn't matter what I do, they just can't do it. Like it just doesn't, their brain will not click with it. So for them, increasing their bench press, they're still going to be shit at push pressing the log. 
So we may as well spend more time push pressing the log and getting better at the specific lift. But when you talk about me and Luke are, you know, very technically um, driven. We love we love building on the technique. If we do anything wrong, we always correct it on the next rep. Um, so we are expressing our strength really well. So if we then build strength on the bench press, we probably will be able to transition it to a log PB as well. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And then also, I get again, it, it it's one of those things because it does depend. Because it's like, well, okay, if you traditionally have a, a slightly closer grip for for your bench, then yeah, like your tricep development is going to go through the roof. And then of course, you're going to have some form of carry across into being able to press a log overhead because guess what, triceps are involved in the movement. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of people that that work on raw tricep strength generally tend to see a, a half decent result or, or increase in the overhead or log. You know, Hicksie for about eight years straight, all he did was board press. <laughs> close grip board press. I know because I've freaking trained with him. Every Thursday, <laughs> close, every Thursday, close grip board press. And he would close grip board press like 240 for sets of five and stuff. Animal at log. Animal. Freak. Yeah. Yeah, so if somebody said to Hicksie, your board press does not carry over to log, it, just, it doesn't matter who tells him. You could show him 500 studies and be like, this meta-analysis proves it doesn't work. He's going to say, I don't care. It works for me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and again, like you, you're, you're, you're talking about that, but it's like Hixie is like that perfect display of when you get like that crazy raw strength that then meets the technician. Like, I mean, I just love going back and watching his log videos because it's like fucking gorgeous, man. Like the smoothness and the timing of the, these things. And it's literally like copy and paste copy and paste, copy and paste. You're like, it doesn't matter if it's 140 on the log, if it's 160, if it's 180, if it's 190, if it's 195, it, look, it just all looks like it moves at the exact same speed, exact same tempo, the exact same confidence. There's, there's no change at all. And you're like, that is a man that has worked that skill a shit ton and has become so, so, so confident in it that it's just second nature. Do you know what I mean? It's just autonomous at that point. We actually... I really believe this, you know. Me and Hicks and the Salt Air Strongman lads. Don't know if you've ever heard about SAS, Salt Air Strongman, but this is where uh, me, Hicksy, Ben France, he came second at Masters Worlds, I think it was. He'll probably fucking kick me and say it's first. Every time I, every time I, t every time I say on a podcast where he came, it's always wrong. <laughs> uh, I was about to say third, so I thought maybe it's second. So I was saying second. Uh, but it's probably fucking first. He's good anyway, Ben, but he's about 300 years old now. Uh, he's the one who got me into, into Strongman. But um, we, we were the first people I heard of in Strongman that logged religiously every single week, every single week of the year, all year round for like three. Most uh, Strongman would just press in the gym. And if they had a log in a comp, they'd do a bit of log up to the comp. But we, um, me and Hicks basically built that technique because if you ever watch me and hicks log we're like the same thing but i'm just like the small fucking yeah. tiny version of it uh, because we built that log technique together because we both had this same issue where we were like scratching our heads like well we can bench press this and strip press that but why can't we clean this stupid log like we just couldn't clean a log um and then we just started um doing it twice a week i used to go to his on his fucking patio it was all smashed up and i'd be stood on this smashed patio doing bloody log there's videos of it on youtube like 2010 i look like a right idiot um 
but we just used to do it all the time until like you say it became just like second nature to do, to do, to do. and then we started hitting pbs and back then hicksy hit his first 200 i hit the first 140 for an under 80 guy um and yeah we just got paddy was back then as well paddy's trainers paddy had a 200 log there was like two 200 loggers in this gym that came from guys that just taught themselves um, that's fucking mental that is absolutely and we, absurd and then we just kind of like took that you know but when salt air kind of closed we all branched off different gyms and shit all went everywhere but then we all carried on with that same thing if you ever watch you won't know paddy but if you ever see paddy log he's still an amazing logger now but if you see paddy log it's the same as hicks it's like the same because we just talked to we learned together same elbow position same cues and it's just like three different people doing the same movement it's like a little game character that you just assigned the movement to it's pretty weird <laughs> So which outfit, which character am I going to choose today? Bling, bling, Hixie, okay, and clean. <laughs> yeah, no one's choosing the under 80 Shane one. It's, uh, <laughs> hey, dude, I would 100% take your log, 1,000%. I would be I'll be over the fucking moon with your log, dude, 100%. Yeah, I'm all right, log. I, I like log as well, because when I'm in this powerlifting world, I see these powerlifters that can out-total out me in my weight class. And then I see him try a log now and again on the Instagram and they do like 105 and I'm like, yeah, you fucking old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> stay in your lane. Yeah, my stay at, this is my zone. I'm the one who does all the lifts. You stay over there. <laughs> I'm going to lift all of these really strange implements. You just do squat bench and deadlift all of the fucking yeah. time. It just gives me an ego boost. So I go back to log and I'm like, yeah, I'm good at something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just got like all these like countless records under your belts and trophies and shit, but but that's what you need. You just need that. You need that reassurance. Just got to stroke the ego a little bit, man. Then we all feel better, right? You got to do it, mate. <laughs> got to do it. So I'm interested in terms of for yourself and your training. One, how far in advance are you programming yourself and are you looking forward? And two, are you setting goals at like whatever point of the year, quarterly, yearly, whatever it is to say like, okay, this year I really fancy taking the deadlift up to X or I really fancy taking my log up to Y or my farmers to whatever. Like what is, do you come in it with an overall plan or are you just like, I just want to see how far I can take this shit. Like how do you do it for yourself, not a client, but for you or does someone else help you with programming and stuff? No, I, I used to get, I used to get help with programming. But I don't need help with it. I just wanted the accountability. And then I ended up thinking, like, I know how to program myself really well. Like, I can make myself strong as I want. Um, so sometimes coaches were giving me stuff, and I just, like, I just don't agree with it. And it's probably the fucking ego in me, but I just feel like I know more than you. Um, it's hard to find someone I put trust in. The only people I put trust in is Andrew Charner and Tom Hibbert. And they're two expensive bastards. So it is also like, I could get this little bit off them, but then I could also spend that money on food and other stuff and what and what's going to actually give me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I could do. I could, you know, if we spend two, three hundred quid a month on a coach. It's uh, you could do a lot with that money. That might. Do I need that accountability? Do I need to pay three hundred pounds for accountability just to learn and to learn a few bits, or? You know, or what? So I, I tend to go with a coach when I when I, I've had a coach for like three or four years, but I tend to go with one that's more affordable, just because all I want them for is accountability. But then I was like, I'm not doing this program, mate. It's terrible. Like, I'll do my own shit. 
Um, Here's what so I'm doing. I'm going to check in with you on this day. Just be ready for me. Yeah, but, but I, the thing is, at the moment for me, training is not the priority. My, my goal is and has always been the highest. I want to be the best on the nightly lifter that has ever lived. I want a log like 180 to 190 to under 90. I want a deadlift in a suit like close to 400 or 400 in a comp. And I want to break the under 90 world record powerlifting total as well. And I would also like to snatch 160 cleaner jerk 200. They're my goals. Fucking and I'm pretty, I'm pretty close to them all. I mean, all I've got to do is pop 10, 15 kilo on everything. It's not yeah. like it's a million miles away. So that's my goal. And then I can retire happy. But I'm setting that up for like the next six, seven years. Because I think that you can peak your strength into your mid-30s. I don't think it's a... I don't think I'm in a rush for it, basically. So at the moment, it's more like um, I'm doing my business and I'm focusing on my work. So my work and my business is my number one priority. So I'm always going into training sessions like a bit tired. I've got stuff on my mind. Um, so it's not the number one priority at the moment. But given my strength level, given that, it, like I say, I'm close to what I want to do. I'm just like one big push away. One year of like, going all in and I think I'll be there but I need to get my business to a point that I can step back and let it kind of run itself and um, get my, my head fully into training so at the moment you're kind of right on what you say when you said do you focus on log or whatever yeah I just pick one goal for like eight weeks I'll just be like in, in, in the next eight weeks I want to do this and I'll just focus on that. So maybe one session a week will be the priority. So if it's like, if they want to deadlift something, that deadlift session, like nothing matters apart from that deadlift session. So yeah, I'll put my all into that. My recovery will be on point. My eating, nutrition, hydration, everything will be on point. And I'll, I'll do well in those sessions of progress. But then the, the, the other three or four sessions a week, I'll just kind of be like fitting them in here and there. Um, so recently I decided that I wanted to pull... 340 on calibrated plates raw, which would have been a 10 kilo PB. I ended up hitting 330 for one rep and I failed the second, but it was like a much faster 330 than when I first pulled it. Um, but then I didn't end up getting the PB. Um, it just didn't. I basically had a lot of fucking life stress and shite, and I came in and it just felt heavy as fuck. So I never actually got that one, but I was really happy with the 330 because, I don't know if you know, recently I fucking mashed my hand and uh, I basically had full hand reconstruction surgery so I couldn't I didn't they, they told me I wouldn't deadlift again because of the pressure from my hand so for me getting back to my old PB after that was like you know win complete win so I was happy as that um, and then I decided I was going to log one I wanted to log a PB but again I underestimated the hand on these peaks a little bit um, I wanted to log a PB my PB is 170 so I wanted to go for like 175 180 I got to 165 that peak, but again, that was with my mashed hand, and it was holding me back quite a lot. Um, so I was over the moon with 165, and then I decided I was going to bench a PB, and then I finally got a fucking all-time PB when I benched 221. Um, so I was like, rough, thank fuck, I can finally get a PB. So now i um, decided I want to bench 230. So my next goal that I started yesterday is bench 230. So hopefully. Before, Feb before March, eight weeks-ish time, I will uh, bench 230. That's kind of like where I'm going. Yeah, it's really interesting that you the, the you bring up the kind of points around injuries there because, so like, I know previously you had issues with uh, 
your TFL and everything from from the uh, the, the, the squat, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, just got absolutely fucking mashed under, man. That was that was that was pretty gnarly. And then going through that with the hand, it's it's an interesting point to bring up because when you injure yourself like that, I think even though you can get to a point where you convince yourself that you are like back to where you were, that there is always that there's that psychological tweak at the back of the mind where it's like you're like 99% sure, but there's just always that little kind of earring of caution. Like I tore uh, my PCL when I was like 15, 16. So I was trying for England rugby at the time, like grade two tear. And it's like, dude, even to this day, like I'll get underneath the squat. I'm like, Hey, like I can run a 340 yoke all day long in like 10 seconds. I'm good. I'm no issues whatsoever, no pain. But I get underneath the squat and I'm like, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, how do you handle that? Because you've had some pretty fucking gnarly injuries, man. And kind of like coming back from those into what you're doing now, like you're saying, considering what happened with your hand, getting under a log, like if anyone has been underneath a log, just being in that position and having that weight on your chest and in your hands, that's a lot of pressure, man. Yeah, it's a weird one. The hand, the hand was a weird one, you know, because with the uh, like with the hamstring. So what happened on the squat was my hamstring like tore, and then because of the way I fell after it took on the eccentric, I was only about four inches down. I don't even know what happened. I must have like loaded my hinge a bit more. Usually I load with the uh, knee, the uh, ankle flexion and load into the knee wrap um, for dorsiflexion, but I just think I must have like shot my ass back and loaded my hinge and. I don't know why, when I look at the video, it doesn't seem that way, but I must have done something different because there was zero warning signs, you know, nothing. I just, I squatted 350, like a speed rep. It was just, um, yeah, and then it just gone. So that one took, that was two years ago now. That's still now, it's still in the back of my mind now when I get under a squat. Um, so I'm just very, what I do for that is I just kind of like, well, I bought a monolift and I got safety straps. Is what I did. So I'm just. I was wait. I was waiting until we bought bought it up with the with the whole fucking safety straps and the monolift. I was waiting until we got <laughs> to the point where you could rant about that shit. Yeah, fucking stupid cunts, man. But, um, the safety straps and everything are just this thing of like, if they were there, I'd have popped my hamstring, and then dumped it over with. But it turned into. I popped my hamstring, I fell to the right because my right hamstring went, so I shifted laterally. The barbell hit the spotter in the chest, pushed him over. The other spotter on the other side, the barbell went away from him, so he can't grab it. What are you so going to do? Yeah, I just fell. Uh, tore my adductor, my TFL, and um, there was loads of issues in my glute and my lower back because my head actually hit. I had a bruise on my forehead because my head, on the video, if you slow it down, as I'm falling, my my my, heat, my my toes raise, and I'm like on my heel, uh, yeah. and then my, my forehead smashed the uh, top of my fucking Olympic shoe. Um, Which, if mad. anyone tries to pitch that in your head right now, just think about how fucking crazy that image is. Like someone folded in half to a point at which you can do that, and then add the weight of the fucking bath being thrown about too. Like that's how you walked away. Like well, walked away from that, but like, holy shit. Yeah, it was, but that's why it's so. Tr that's why I need the safety straps because, um, and I actually said to Emma in the BPU, she asked me if I was coming back. I said, I said I'm never squatting in your competition again. I'll go to the GPC because that could have that could have been bad. 
just because you don't have safety straps. And I, I'm like, why don't you have, uh, just, I cannot understand why they don't have safety straps. They said to me, oh, somebody trapped the hand in the show, he's safety straps. I said, because he's an idiot. I was like, he's an idiot. If he trapped his hand, he's an idiot because he put his hand in the wrong place. Um, he put his hand like uh, through the strap so that if he failed, he gets crushed. Don't put your hand through the strap. You know, don't don't mean you don't don't take the strap away from everyone so that you've got to die if you fail. It just seems a bit ridiculous to me. Yeah, but, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, so they, but they won't use straps anyway. So I can't lift in that fed. But the the getting under the squat definitely even now, it's very strange because if I put a bar if I put a bar low bar and wraps, it's like this massive fucking guy on my shoulder going, "You're gonna die, you're gonna die," and I'm like, "Fuck off, little cunt." But then if I'm in like if I'm on a safety bar. You could put 300 kilo on a safety bar and tell me to do a slow eccentric. I'll fucking do it. It doesn't even bother me because, like, is that the change in bar, Bell? And it's probably weird. So it's still there. And yeah, I just literally, as I'm squatting and this little fella's telling me I'm going to die, I'm just like, fuck off. And then that's that's how I get over it. Well, it's interesting then, that you just said that because that totally makes sense, though. If you, if you, if you, if you believe that in terms of how you did it originally, if you are used to kind of working into the wraps more and having more break at the knee before shifting the hips back then yeah like quad quad dominance in a in a safety safety bar squat makes way more sense than if you then want to chuck wraps on and hit a low bar because dude you're just going to be lighting those hammies up and that's just like well, it's just like rolling the dice every time isn't it it's just like you just keep on poking at it and you're like uh yeah, will, it, will it go today a squat, a squat really uh Really vertical torso. Even when I'm low bar, I squat real quad dominant vertical torso. I don't hinge at all. Um, and it's not even a low bar. It's like a med bar, to be honest with you. So it's like, it, it's a strange one. Because like same thing, if I go high bar with the exact same torso position, I don't get the same feedback. It's a bit dodgy. I'm a bit like skeptical. But as soon as the bar goes low uh, in, in sleeves, it's like, again, it's like even worse. But when I get wraps on, it's like my brain remembers the moment and goes, I don't want you to go down, mate. <laughs> uh, it's a bit strange. But the, uh, the hand was completely different. The hand was a trauma injury, so it was like crushed and a J-hook went through my hand. You can see my scar there, my gammy little finger. So I've had that all reconstructed there um, and on this side as well. So that was more like... I dropped a bar on it and had a J-hook go through it, but didn't really like bother me on the squat. You know what I mean? Because that was just my mistake. It's just an accident. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I never have like when I'm when I'm squatting now, I never think I'm going to trap my hand or I never worry about my hand. It was it was mainly more that like when I was saying the hand was bothering me more than I thought. It was like I thought. It was fine, but neurologically, like the connection between my uh, nervous system and my forearm and my bicep and my lap, and just I wasn't I wasn't able to contract properly. I have to do I've done a lot of neural flossing and stuff to help it, and yeah, I ended up getting a little bit of imbalances. Uh, I've sorted them all now, but like I said, these are just things that I thought it was okay, but then I realised it wasn't. And on the log and stuff, like when I was picking it up sometimes my hand would just i couldn't pick the log up like i didn't have the grip strength to pick the log up so um or when i'm cleaning the log and i'm squeezing my lats my left side will just go limp because it's like it just turned off there's just 
things like that happening. And also there was a lot of scar tissue on the, the palm of my hand, so it hurt to press and stuff, but I just kind of kept forcing it in. And I've literally got a dent in my scar tissue now where a bar goes, it's quite funny. <laughs> because it's like this perfect shelf for a barbell. It feels, it feels better than it used to, actually. So how long are you post-surgery now on that hand? Um, about five months. So do you do any, like, uh, just, like, light scraping or anything in the hand just to break down some of that scar tissue? Uh, by light scraping, if you mean unrack 200 kilo bench a couple of times a week. <laughs> yeah. No, man, no. I mean, like, actually getting some actual, like, self fascia release in there. No, no. Uh, when I first did the injury, I paid for a physio twice a week for the first three months. So I had loads of massage on both sides of the hand where the scarring is. Sweet. Um, and yeah, that's it really. Three, three, the first three months of uh, after the injury. So it's been about eight weeks since I've had anything. But, but like I say, now it is, it's 100% a normal hand. Like, it's fine. Like, do everything. The only thing I've got is this gammy finger. I can't straighten my little finger. So that's, that's that. But that's, that's that for life now. So, yeah. No, uh, no karate chops. <laughs> so I say to Shannon, I was like, the only thing I can't do is a karate chop ever again. I say, just fucking that. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? It's not the same thing. <laughs> no, doesn't doesn't quite have the same impact. Now... <laughs> Because you've because you've gone through all of these sorts of things, so like I think it's interesting to to kind of bring it up. So like kind of spoke about the fact like jacked up my knee, my I've torn my pec major pretty much directly in half through the belly of the tissue. So I've I've pretty much lost a, an, an entire pec there. Like when you go through these like bigger injuries as a coach, I think it's really interesting because then you almost become like so much more knowledgeable about those issues and injuries because you've sustained it and you've had to go through the recovery process and you have to figure out what works to kind of get you back to where you were that, that then you're now in this kind of like power position as a coach because you're like okay i know how to approach these situations now or how to avoid ever getting into them like do you feel like now you're in a better position as a coach having gone through those injuries because you know how to program and avoid and work around them better Mm, plus I no. I don't believe any of my injuries came have ever come from programming. I just believe I mean I've had two major injuries. One I re-racked a barbell and it was on a shit stand in lockdown and it fell over and I got my hand stuck. The other one I was in a competition squatting four times body weight. So there's just stuff that can happen in strength training. Um, yeah, not necessarily around the programming in terms of like leading up to it, but in terms of the, the programming post injury. Sorry, I probably should have cleared that up a little bit more. Yeah, but in I mean, terms I'm of not, like the restoration really, rehabilitation. No, I, mean, I, could, I could do, I could, I guess, but I don't tell. I'm not an injury rehab guy. Come to me when you're not injured. That's like I say, I, I stay in my lane. I ain't a physio and osteo. I don't want to be. Um, go to a physio osteo. They can tell me what to do with the program. I'll do it. But I'm not. I don't put myself in a position of power that I'm not qualified to. Um, I think that that's one of the, my pet gripes with coaches. Step out of the lane far too much, and I don't care if you've injured your hamstring. You ain't done six, seven years at uni and earned the right to tell people what to do on that subject. So I stay. As soon as someone says it to me, I'm like, "You take some BPC one five seven. That's my advice. Take some BPC one five seven. If it heals up your injury, 
We'll keep on training. If it doesn't, go see the specialist. Go see MoFo Body Mechanic. That's who you should see. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I love that. That's a very, very interesting view on it. No, but like that, I, I totally get that. Like, if you feel confident in that area, why would you actively venture out of it to to to, to try and do it? But you know, that's it's testament to then you as a coach in in the sense of like, okay, I'm confident with this. I know what the fuck I'm doing. If we've got all of these different factors that I can't control, then that's why you need to have that. Like I know you've spoken about it before with like nutrition and stuff. Like you're not there going to be giving out like super detailed like nutritional programming and macros and breakdowns and you need this, 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 this. Yeah. You're like you saw it out. If you want to get bigger, eat a little bit fucking more, eat a little bit more protein. Like to, in this day and age, like it's almost common sense. You know what I mean? Like you can pretty much figure out all of this shit out for free online. It's 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 not ground. Yeah, that's just what I say to people is like like with the injury thing. If they, if they have a little minor injury and we've got to work around it, yeah, of course, I'm just, I'm just going to program around it. But if somebody blows the hamstring off the leg, I ain't touching their program, you know what I mean? That is not – if you've got a little pec twinge or your external rotation is a bit – yeah, of course, I, I wasn't meaning like that. But I'm on about if someone tears a pec, someone tears a hamstring, someone goes through full hand reconstruction, I'm not going to be like, I know what to do. I've done it myself. <laughs> Come to me. No, speak, listen to your hand surgeon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, same with nutrition. Like, I could probably, I probably know more about nutrition than most of the nutrition coaches out there because I love it. But I don't sell my service as a nutritionist because I don't actually have any qualifications in it. I've just read a load of shite. You know what I mean? It's, uh, so, so I wouldn't charge them. I send my clients diet plans because I say, look, your diet's absolutely diabolical. So eat this, please, because it's 10 times better than what you're on. <laughs> But but I say to them, don't ask me for another one. Like that's that's what you're getting. You want another diet plan? Speak to speak to Uris, You know, speak to somebody else. Uh, because my lane is the strength programming and getting people strong and good at strong and powerlifting. And I, I'm really set on. I do not venture out of that ever. Like I say, if someone's got a pec niggle and we've got to adjust the pressing stuff, but I can still train the squat dead. Great, I'll do that. If they're so fucked that every single part of the program is having to be adjusted, I'll just say you don't need a strength coach. You need a rehab specialist. So go to them. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that that that's that's a that's really interesting view to have because you know there are a lot of people out there that will try to to kind of wriggle around it to a point of which it's it's a case of well. That person isn't actually necessarily getting better in any field and they're not getting any benefit out of it. And I think that, that you're true in what you're saying that there are a lot of people that are out there that will, will like kind of go <laughs> and say that they are kind of a, a specialist on X field and actually really have no background on it. Because, you know, we live in this day and age where any motherfucker can open this and get access to, like you said, different articles and claim to know everything at a moment's notice. So the fact that you, even as a coach that understands that you can actually probably benefit them and help them to stand back and be like, uh, you're like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not all about that. Yeah, well, I'm I too, think that's I'm really too, interesting. I'm, I'm busy enough doing my strength shit. I can't do everyone's nutrition as well. You know what I mean? If you fucking pay me double, I'll, I'll do it. But yeah, you know what I mean? It's, um, I just don't have time for it. Um, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't enjoy it. Like, like I said, I could, tell, I could tell you about nutrition and write people diet plans, but I think it's just not as boring. Like, I just don't enjoy it at all. Getting somebody to a crazy level of strength, mastering weird movements in strongman, 
I love it. It gets me hard. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't wake up and think about how many pieces of fruit I'm going to tell my client to eat and get stiff. I don't think that. I wake up and I think, who's Max Denning today? Who's Max squatting? Who's going to? What, wonder what songs are going to be playing when people are lifting tonight. I wonder what's going to get me. What's going to get me hard? That's what I wake up for. So people ask me about nutrition and injuries. I'm like, I don't care about rehabbing your shoulder enough to actually ask you to pay me for it. Like, even if you ask me 300 quid to do it, I probably wouldn't because I just don't want to. Uh, so that's why I, I just don't venture into it. And I'm not money grabbing. Like, I'm, I'm pretty content. I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. If someone has to cancel because they're injured, I'm not going to pretend I can rehab them just so I keep a debit each month. It's, you know, that's unprofessional in my opinion. And, and, and I just wouldn't do that. It's just not me. Like I said, I'm quite blunt. I just fucking say what I think and that's it. No, but I think it's important because especially like, and, and I've spoken about on this show like a fucking thousand times, it seems like now that with the with the joys of social media is that, you know, like you, you have those, the snakes and the fakes and it, it isn't until you come across a coach such as yourself uh, or other people that are in the industry that, that, you know, are also very, very blunt and to the point that you're like, I totally respect this person because I believe everything that's coming out of their fucking mouth because they are 100% true to themselves and what they believe in and they express it in a very, very simple way for everyone to understand. And it's like, well, actually, I 100% respect that way more than someone else that's going to hide behind a load of bullshit, a load of jargon, try and seem to make things more complicated than they are so then they sound, you know, hyper-intelligent. It's like, no. Yeah, this is the thing online, right? It's something that gets me online that I hate, mate, is people can go online and read an article and learn all these big words and learn all these things and learn about a specific subject for like an hour. And then they can go, I'm going to make a video on this. And they, they, all they do is they lay the information they just read. Zero retention of it. Don't understand anything about it, but they sound really smart. And then you hire them and you realize they're just a fucking idiot. And there's, there's a lot of that about there in strongman coaching. And that's why I put out the type of information I do is because I hate people that do three novice comps and then offer online coaching because it rattles me because I've spent so much money, so many hours and so much time and effort getting good at this fucking job that some whopper can do two novice comps and just change his Insta bio. And now he's got the same job as me. Like bullshit, that should be illegal. That should be illegal in my opinion. Uh, but it's not. It's widely done. Fucking every man and his dog's a fucking coach. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's something that you've got to be careful with in this, this day and age is, does this person understand the information he's relating or is he just relaying random shit he's read? And often it's the latter. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, like you said, it's so easy to do it in this day and age as well that you've got people that don't even necessarily actually live in that space that, that are doing that. You know, people that aren't actually PTs. Dude, the, the amount of like, uh, like it's absolutely rife in bodybuilding, the amount of fucking coaches that aren't qualified in anything and they're giving out nutritional advice and they're giving out training advice and you're just like, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I don't, I don't understand. Dying into a show is dangerous. Dude, so mean? dangerous. What the fuck? And you get like, oh, man, the amount, of, the amount of fucking stories I've heard about kind of, these dodgy cookie cutter coaches that are like water loading people. And you're like, do you understand that if you go through that cycle, you will fucking die. You're like this. It's, it's absolutely absurd that, that people of, of that ilk 
uh, of that stature on social media can can be fucking supplying this stuff. I don't understand how it's legal. Yeah, that's why it annoys me is the fact that it's not it, like I can't just turn myself into a doctor. You know what I mean? And just, <laughs> and just start fucking getting people around, slamming out. Well, people can do, people do it. That's what online coaching people do. They just start zero knowledge or anything, and they're prescribing peds and diuretics and uh, all these different things to people. And I'm like, well, you don't know anything about anything. Like, why should it should be illegal? Uh, but but it's not. And that's why, unfortunately, a lot of people get suckered into. Uh, Dodgy, co- well, not dodgy, but you know what I mean. Weird coaches that relay dangerous information, and I see it all the time, especially in strongman. Amount oh, of lads man. come to me that are on so much gear, their eyeballs are out their head, and I'm just like, mate, you need to, uh, you need to tone stuff down a little bit. Oh, but my coach said this is what I should be on in my off season. Oh, well, you're off season. I was like, oh, you nuts. <laughs> Yeah, but that, 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 like, I mean, that's also a testament to the fact that the coach is relying on not the coaching to do their fucking job. Do you know what I mean? They're relying on yeah. the bottle to do the job for them, which, again, I think it, it's really interesting that you relay this information because you go out there to say, yes, you can get this aid, but it's not going to fucking work by itself overnight. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to have this training structure. You have to have this plan in place to be able to do it behind the scenes. Yeah, it's just a... Uh... It's a weird subject to this online coaching stuff because there are some great guys out there putting out loads of information that's that's really good. But often online coaches come from athlete, being athletes first. So sometimes you have a coach who has come into it as a coach and he's got a small following but amazing information, but nobody sees it. And then you get an athlete that gets quite a big following because of his athletic or her athletic uh, you know, abilities, then turns into a coach and then has all these clients come to them quickly and loads of views and stuff and loads of work when all they've done is just decided overnight, I am now a coach, pay me monthly. Yeah. And, and, and it rattles me that that is, you know, a possibility that happens all the, I've seen it a million times. And to be fair to some of them, I've slated some of them in the past. Because the, the thing that pisses me off the most is when people do it and then six months later, they fuck off. Yeah. To be, to be fair to some of them, they have stuck it out. People that have slated in the past, years and years ago. Because I've been online coaching since I was actually like 22. Before I took it full time, I used to do it as a bit of a hobby on the side. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've done online coaching a long time. And um, some of them stuck it out and they've done qualifications and learned stuff and got better and progressed as the years have gone on. And now they're good coaches. And now I would recommend them. But at the start, I'm thinking, you should have done that. Like, you started wrong. I still say they start wrong. Because I know some of these guys personally. I say to them, you started wrong. <laughs> uh, you might have ended well, but at the start, you're a bit ropey. And they'll all admit and go, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing back then, um, to be honest. But at least some of them do stick it out. Yeah, but, you know, I think, you know, I'm not going to fucking sit here and blow smoke up your ass, but I think that's why it's really important that we have guys like you out there on social media. And it's the the same as some of the other guys that and girls that I've had on this show is that we need the, the, the truth speakers out there to cut through so much of this bullshit knowledge, which is being fed and supplied and given to people. Because especially now the younger generations are spending more and more time on here, but actually the younger generations now are actually at a point where they're more interested in the gym and training than they ever fucking were when like I was a kid. I'm 26 years old now. I know you're a little bit older than me, but 
you know, you, you go back to, to when we were younger and it was like, the, the, the gym wasn't a cool thing like it is now. Like fucking 15 year old girls are getting Gymshark kits for their birthday. You're like, the fuck? That didn't happen when we were uh, at school. Do you know what I mean? No one was getting fucking wrist wraps for their 16th birthday. Like, what's this all about? Yeah, but this is why I feel blessed because I think that for me personally, I got lucky, right? I was on my coaching at like 22 and I was learning off people like Tom Hibbert and stuff that were just so good. They just know so much. Like Tom used to be friends with Paula Quinn, you know what I mean? He'd on the phone, text Paula Quinn. I'm like, who the hell texts Paula Quinn? You know what I mean? Um, so you just, um, I picked up so much great information. And then as social media came out and as stuff um, got more exposed and the gym became popular, my business was able to just like surf the wave and, you know, build itself into what it is today which MST in the next three to five years I guarantee you that we will just take over strongman programming in terms of like the entry level like do you want to get good at strongman you've just started strongman get on the MST bot because the MST bot that we're building at the moment is just absolutely mad and once we finally release it it's nearly it's going to be done soon when we finally release it all these coaches that I'm talking about the, the little ones that do two knowledge comps and they're suddenly online qualified and they're charging six quid a month. I'm going to put all those cunts in the grave. They're going out of business because MST bot for 25 quid a month is going to deliver 25 times the fucking service that any of them stupid motherfuckers will ever be able to deliver. So I'm going to raise the height of the standard of strongman coaching so that if you cannot deliver more than this for 25 quid, if you can't give a better service than this, you're not going to do well in this business. So I'm going to, Dwittle out all those little fuckers by giving a product out there that's so cheap and accessible and with so much good information that it becomes impossible to basically dwindle down this coaching thing into just like, who the hell do I pick? Like, who do I choose as a coach? Everybody's a coach. Like, who the hell should I choose? It's really hard to choose. Well, it's not going to be a problem after, uh, after December. There's going to be, you're going to go on MST bot. And then if you want the coach, you can go from MST bot to a coach. And if they provide less of the service than what you were getting, you're going to jump straight back on it because you'll know they're a fraud. Yeah, man. There's, me rant. There's a rant for you. <laughs> hey, we fucking love rants here, man. We're all about rants on this show. That, that's what I absolutely love. That's just raw passion right there, though. That's what I love. Yeah, it, it's fucked me off for years. and I've never been in the financial and social, whatever you want to call it, the social media situation to be able to provide something to a lot of people. My followers, I've only got like 20K followers, but it's just all strongman, all passionate strongman coaches and strongman um, athletes that, that want the sport to succeed. And I really want to give something to the sport. I've always said this, I wanted to make this sport better. And the way I'm going to do it is through providing uh, affordable, but world-class coaching service uh, that isn't just numbers that is two, two by eight on log fuck off what is that for coaching if your coach gives you a program and it says log two by eight and that is the only text on log sack them it's shine <laughs> um you know i basically mst bot is basically a fucking book like there's like when i say log press there's like text like bang like fucking 400 words for just one exercise on one day uh, because there's so much more to like if you say to somebody do a bent over row, yeah, you get 10 people from 10 different areas of the country that have trained in 10 different environments to say do a bent over row. 10 people will do 10 different variations of bent over row. The bar path will be different. The hand width will be different. The, the, the elbow where it tracks, whether it goes out or whether it goes back, 
or whatever they do, they'll have been taught something different. So if your coach just says bent over row, two by eight, well, what type of bent over row? What's the goal of the bent over row? Is the goal hypertrophy? Is it neural? Do we want to be more hinged below the knee? Do we want to be upright and rowing so we're more trapped? There's a lot to like a simple little tiny exercise. And um, that's what fucks me off is the, the low, low effort coaching that's just a bunch of numbers. Humans are not robots. They can't just be given a load of numbers and expect them to turn into freak athletes. They need direction and cues and they need the proper direction and cues. And um, unless you, this is another thing with like strongman coaches that don't do strongman. Um, if you don't understand the intricacies of a sandbag and a stone down to it's like the pure, like beautiful level of power transfer into that item. How the hell are you going to explain someone how to do it? They can't. So fuck off. Get enough job. It really annoys me. It rattles me. And uh, this is why we're really pushing hard to get this out. We're working with MoFo because as well, all the rehab and prehab and movement preps, not, no one does that shit. They just tell you like, go in the gym and deadlift day, two by five at 80%. Fuck off, it's shit. Movement preps, rehab, prehab, um, preparing yourself for this specific session and then cues on your deadlift of how to perform it, what the goal of the session is and what the goal of the block is and getting intricate in these details. That, that's where you separate a good coach from someone who doesn't know what's going on. And um, I'm real passionate, if you can't tell, about these shit coaches. It really fucks me off. I think I, I really think it should be illegal. It really drives me drives me mad. It keeps me up at night, I tell you. Yeah, but but it's it's the and like I've seen them before, and I remember like working in leisure centers where it's like exactly what you're saying. Like <laughs> I remember a guy was like he charged like 60, 70 quid for this program, and it was just like the most dog shit thing I'd ever seen. Like five, six exercises in a block, like not even there wasn't there was like no supersets, just straight like five by five on this, four by ten on this, three by twelve on this, and you're like what in the fuck like someone has had to work so hard for that 70 pounds that you're just going to turn around and slap them in the face like that yeah, this, this is why it annoys me right because i've been there when i was a young lad working in that gym and i had fucking however much money a month i had i, I think i had about 700 quid a month i was only, I was only like part-time-ish and um i'd come home and i would find stuff online that I would be able to use to progress and back then when I was like 18, 19 or whatever it was just supplements that was the only thing out there really there wasn't much programming and you know what I mean there wasn't yeah. I couldn't go I couldn't go online and buy an online coach back then if if if, I, if it was I'd have bought one trust me but for me I was on discount supplements I was reading this fucking whatever it's called cell drive by farmer x whatever it's called and you know, I'm just like, I need that. And then I'm like, Gaspari super pump. Oh, you've got to stack it with this fucking thing. And I'm like, I spent like 400 quid a month on supplements. And I'd have no money. I'd be, I'd be fucking oh, just wasting it all and not getting any results. And that's what I feel like these people are doing when they're paying some coaches to charge an 80, 90 quid a month. And they're getting these programs that are written like that. And they're, they're coming to me after, uh, you know, I, I charge a little bit more than I used to. Now. I'm at 150 a month just because basically I'm full. So I've kind of got a price that says you can pay that, I'll squeeze you in, but I can't really take any more. And that's kind of what that price is. But um, it's like people come to me and they pay that and they're really stretching themselves. And I'm looking and I'm like, and you've had, you've had a coach for a year and this is what you've got. And they're like, yeah, and they've invested over a grand, you know, 90 quid a month for a year. They've invested over a grand 
and they've received no, nothing in return. And then they get this program off me and they go, I can't believe this is what, um, what it's supposed to be like. And I was like, well, yeah, you should never, you know, you should only get stuff like this. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be getting scammed. It should be the standard, scammed. but it's not. And, but that is all like, it's a double-edged sword because yes, it's shit, but also it's fantastic because then when that person ventures across and they see what you have to offer, they're like, wow this is incredible. This is what it should be like. So yes, it's wrong and it shouldn't happen. But at the same time, it also just goes to show how good of a coach you are compared to the vast majority of bullshit cookie cutter coaches that are out there, which unfortunately the personal training, coaching, whatever the fuck you want to label it, that industry is full, like full of them, like 80% plus are people that are just hopping online, getting a fucking qualification for like 200 pounds, going through multiple choice answers, not actually having to really learn anything about the human body, how it works, biomechanics, anything. And then going into a gym and then charging people 50 pounds for a personal training session. And you're like, I learned absolutely nothing in that hour. And you've completely fucked my CNS and my back is shagged. And my body feels worse than when I first walked in the room. And you're like, yeah, and you're paying for that privilege. Congratulations. Yeah, because my whole thing with it is, well, my clients now that I've had long-term are clever <laughs> because my whole thing is as well, I want to educate the client. I don't want to have retard clients who don't understand anything. You know what I mean? Because they, once they understand stuff, they can help themselves and ask, answer their own questions. And that builds loyalty as well because I've taught them that, even though they have a question that they can answer themselves now, they know I've taught them that, so they'll stay. Because my, my client retention is one thing I'm very proud of. I don't lose clients. That's why I never have space, because I just do not lose clients. And um, unless something drastic comes up, you know, and, and like lockdown and stuff, never lose clients. And they, they always come back because the, the, the education side of it, like even just here's a tip for some coaches if you're listening. Instead of when you write your deadlift program, just the first day, deadlift, 200 kilo, four, four by five, whatever it is, just right underneath the reason why you're doing that first session. Teach them. Because the, then when the client goes, what have you got today? A oh, four by five at 220. Why are you doing that? Well, my coach says. <laughs> well, what, well, what's the point? Like, educate him. Yeah. We're doing this, mate, because we're just, even if you just write, we're going to do a real simple linear progression where we're going to add five kilo a week for the first uh, five weeks and we're going to call it an accumulation block for four weeks. Oh, an accumulation block. Oh, that's what that is. You know, they don't need to know the intricate details of it, but they now know, like, someone says, why are you doing that? Oh, it's the start of the accumulation block, mate. It's my first week. I'm adding five kilo a week for five weeks. That person now knows he's doing an accumulation block. He just said a big fancy word. And then the more you teach that client, Put different bits in the program here and there. Different. Next time you start a new phase, we're doing an isometric phase. The goal here is to tendon strength and reinforcing positions at this point of the lift. That person is now learning stuff throughout the program. And then after six, seven months of coaching him, he's probably going to be cleverer than the last coach he hired. Um, well, he'll probably put coaching his bio and stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> then you'll have to put him out of fucking business. <laughs> No, but you see what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not hard to do. And that's why I think to myself, like, why don't people do that? 
And I think the reason is because they write four by five at 220. And if I asked that coach, so why have you done that? He'd probably be like, don't know. That's, that's why they don't write it. So I, like, even on my assistants, I've got a program up here, actually. Even on this assistant here, I've literally wrote fucking five lines on a rear foot elevated split squat about why they're doing it. Because I want them to know that don't just do your squats and then go home and skip your assistance. Your assistance has a fundamental place and it's there for a reason. And, um, you know, if, if, if I ever write a program and I put an exercise in, if I can't say to myself the reason why, then I shouldn't put the exercise in. You know what I mean? There's no point. Say this it. all the time. The amount of times where you just comb over a program and you're like, okay, so, so why have you paired these two together? What kind of response are you trying to elicit here? Okay, yeah, exactly. if, if, you can't, if you can't tell me, then what's the fucking point? That's just filler. You could have something that's actually doing something in that space, or they could not be overloading their body and they could be resting. Exactly. And it's mad because some coaches have, because I do help some coaches out and stuff and do some like, not, I'm not calling it mentoring. I don't really charge for it or anything. It's just like a bit of a side hobby that I just help a few, few close friends out really. Yeah. And they say, this is the program and the rest, uh, rest is fluff. And I'm like, well, what? The, no, the, the amount of times I've heard that, it's like it's kind of some of this talk, the word fluff, or you call it filler, fluff, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, there shouldn't be filler in a program, or there shouldn't be fluff. There should just be. And, and the way I break my assistance down with strongman coaching um, is I, I always have a shoulder stability focus, I always have a core focus, and uh, unilateral work um, is fundamental. So that's how I break my assistance down is uh, unilateral deep knee flexion, shoulder stab and core going through bracing, rotating and concentric eccentric work on the, the core so that we get all different planes of motion, build a big strong core. And then, yeah, the, if, if you break your assistance down like that, there isn't really any filler because that is your assistance. It's all got a reason, you know what I mean? Um, it's, and sometimes it's got the rest fluff and I'm like, well, it's not fluff because this is shoulder stab this is core, but you've kind of like got it all over the place. Let's lump it all together. You know, elicit a proper response because if you do two, three sets of 10 uh, rear delt raises at the end of a pressing session, you're not going to get any real alterations. <laughs> what was the fucking point? Yeah. If, if you did rear delts, power raises, face pulls, and you start stacking them, I always teach you like uh, building a wall. I always say like, if your first exercise is like your first layer of bricks, and I always teach people, like, if you take too much rest, if you're like going for hypertrophy and assistance and shoulder stab, if you take too much rest between your exercises, you're just building the same layer of the wall every single time. Whereas we want to control the rest time, so we're increasing blood flow and uh, mind-muscle connection and contraction, all that bullshit. And we, we do three, four, five exercises in a row or whatever the person can handle. And then we look to build volume and density with these exercise selections before we rotate it in a couple of, you know, in, in, in next block or whatever. Um, so that's kind of like, I just don't think if you, if you, if you structure a program like that, there isn't really any filler or fluff because you can, you kind of end up like, oh, that looks like a bit too much anyway. Like I don't really want to put anything extra in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But that I think then just goes, it's just testament to you as a coach understanding that actually, especially in this, we, we don't just need to have a fucking, delts and triceps day do you know what i mean this isn't like bodybuilding.com <laughs> you know it's like we have this compound press we have this isolation movement we have this eccentric we have this stabilization we have this core response 
because you know that on the day that all of those things are going to add together to produce the perfect log or the perfect axle yeah. or do you know what I mean? Like you have that foresight and I, I, I absolutely love that man. And again, that's just testament to you as a coach. Now, I, uh, I, I love to end the podcast in the same way because I think it's interesting to get everyone's point of view, especially someone as fucking blunt as you are. So this is going to be a good By the one. way, have we broke your record or not? Uh, I don't actually know. I mean, I think we're like an hour and a half in. So I don't know if you tell us has got this, man. I've got three more hours in me. I told you, I've got four <laughs> anyone that's done. <laughs> So I want you uh, to imagine that you're stepping into a time machine. You're going back in time and you get to spend a few moments with your younger self. You're like 10, 11, 12 years old. You've obviously gone through a lot so far to get to where you are. Your progressive, your progression through business and as an athlete and as a human being has obviously been tremendous. So you get to spend a few moments with your younger self in that time and give them some information, uh, you know, a mantra to live by, a way to live their life, something to help them get through all the shit you know that they've got to get through. What do you tell your younger self? What do you say to him? I'm not going to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you something else. Fantastic. Which uh, I know is a bit random, but genuinely... <laughs> That there is my most recurring dream I ever have. And I'll tell you, because I've told, I've had that dream so many times that I've told myself a bazillion different things. And the okay. same thing happens in the dream every time. What's that? So I, what happens is, my missus, me and my missus are like two peas in a pod, Shannon, yeah? She's absolutely class. Don't tell her this because she fucking, you got to keep them uh, distance on you, treat me and keep them keen, all that. <laughs> Whatever I do in my life, I think to myself, I need to get Shannon in it at some point. So in this recurring dream, no matter what I tell myself, I, I obviously tell him about, I tell him about Shannon. I'm like, make sure you fucking get Shannon. Um, and then I always fuck it up because I approach her in many different ways, try and pull her in many different ways. And she's a right stubborn fucker. She's an hard, hard bird to pull, I tell you. I just can't pull her again. So no matter what I do, no matter what I tell my younger self, the goal is to try and get my missus back. But it never seems to work out in the dream and I wake up and I'm in a mood of it for the first half hour of the morning. So there you go. <laughs> Dude, we've all been there. Like you wake up and you've just like had a nightmare that like your missus has been cheating on you. You just roll over and you're like, you mother. Fuck it, I could kill you right now. And they're like, yeah, Good tell morning, her, like, how are you doing? And you're like, don't even like, speak to me. You cheated on me in my dream, you bitch. She's like, what are you dreaming of? I'm like, you're a fucking cunt. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let me pull you. I couldn't pull you. And I'm like, this time I was too young because she's, she's actually uh, nine years younger than me. So I was, I was a little bit nonsy. <laughs> she was only 17 and I was like 25 or whatever. Um, so I'm like, obviously, I can't get her like 15, 16. So I kind of wait. I've got to wait. I'm like a bit creepy, like watching her a bit, you know, at the park and stuff. And then I'm like, fuck me, I'm a proper nonce here. I need to stop watching it. So then I, uh, I've got to wait till she's 17. And then I'm like, right, I can creep on her a bit now because it's more, you know, it's more acceptable. Uh, but it's really hard to get her because unless I'd lived the life I'd lived, I don't think I'd have pulled her because I was a bit of a player knobhead back at the day. And I pulled her, but when I give myself this information on this little young nice guy who wants to get my life on track and whatnot, she don't give a shit. She's like, fuck off. <laughs> so yeah, random recurring dream for you. I love that. That is so, so, so random. I absolutely love that. Amazing. Man, thank you so much for this. 
like a hundred percent we're going to do this again because i've got like thousands of different points that we could talk about and you literally can talk four days literally it's me apparently i've got a bit of a, a gift for chatting shit because Joe Sko is the guy who he films for Giants Live and he films all the athlete interviews and stuff. And usually he says that he has to do about 20 takes with everyone. And he's got to tell him and he's got to try and plug him. And he says, I'm the opposite. Like he just says a subject and puts the camera on me and he doesn't even have to edit it because he's like, you don't even breathe. I'm like, I don't know how. I just speak <laughs> and it, for like an hour. And then he's like, will you please stop speaking? And I'm like, well, okay, I'll stop now. But I can keep going if you want. Like there's more information. <laughs> Yeah, but dude, it's just it's just raw passion, and that's why I love. That's why I absolutely love about you know everything that you put out there is that it just comes from a point of passion, and man, just like keep it up. Like the world needs more of that shit right now. Do you know what I mean? So thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're putting out there, and man, thank you for coming on the show, man, because it's been it's been fucking awesome chatting, dude. Really, really, really has. Yeah, thanks very much. I didn't know what the hell we were gonna chat about, what it was gonna be, but I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Thank you. <laughs>